0: Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host, Patrick from Polstring Press for this great studio. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, Good morning, Mark. I would love you to meet um, Professor Dan Hamilton. He's an economics professor down at Cal Lutheran, who we just mentioned, and the director for the Center for Economic Research and Forecasting. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark.
1: How was the drive up from the southern part of the 805? not bad It was beautiful bad. today uh, yeah, yeah the ocean looks quite nice there's some mist out there but it looks very nice um
0: our we our listener could listen to this at various times it'll be a year from now or two years from now <laughs> but it is clear now there's that we've had uh, people know we record in california that we've had wildfires I know that won't
2: that won't be different in two years. Yeah, that's true. (laughs)
0: Yes, but the the air is not clear up north. Uh, I Talked to my son this morning, and the kids are got yanked out of school, and they live way on the other side of the state, and that smoke goes everywhere. Um, I want to tell our listener how uh, it came to be that you we invited you onto the show. There was a video I saw from Cal Lutheran's page on Facebook about your program, which is um, a specific kind of uh, data representation, and I, which I, which I want to talk about because my background is in data visualization and computer animation. And I saw that and went, hold it. This is the exactly the guy I want to talk to. Okay. So tell us what the name of the program is. It's a Master of Science in Quantitative Economics. And when did you first get interested in that?
1: Oh, this was a blessing. Um, we There was a group of us who were running the forecast center at UC Santa Barbara uh, back in, we started in 2000, and uh, later in 2000, 2009-ish, um, we got an offer from Cal Lutheran that was a... Great opportunity for establishing a forecast center at Cal Lutheran and establishing this master's program in economics, and so we we went to Cal Lutheran, and um, it was like a dream come true. I had thought about how to design a master's program um, when I was in the outer years of the PhD program at UCSB in economics. Um, I would doodle on a napkin, right, and (laughs) and figure what would be the best way to design a master's, a a terminal master's. So some masters are kind of along the way to a Ph.D. This is different. This is to help folks get a job. Um, How would you design such a program? And so I would doodle and sketch and so on. And then however many years later, they asked me to do it and paid me to do it. (laughs) <laughs> and when you say
0: we, um, uh, our listener who's been around Santa Barbara for a long time will know that um, Bill Watkins, yes, uh, was you know famous for presenting the results of the work. Um, and so the we was how many of you left UCSB?
1: Bill Watkins, uh, myself, and Kirk Lesh, who it. is still at Cal Lutheran at this time.
0: Got it. Yeah. And then we also had Matthew Feinup. Is that
1: uh, yes? Matthew Feenup is my boss at the Forecast Center. He's the executive director. Got it. Um, yes. We had him on the show uh, mm-hmm. last year talking. Yes. And so
0: then when I saw this, I went, oh, this is the data behind the the synthesis and the
1: analysis. So yes. Yes, Matthew is our external voice. And... I'm usually, uh, they let me out today, but I usually <laughs> have a chain uh, connected to my desk, and I have my monitors, and that's where I'm at normally.
0: Are you more most comfortable with numbers than people?
1: Uh, no, I love people, but um, I love the forecasting routine. I love the numbers. Um, it's a passion. Why is that? Um, well... Um, To me, kind of a simple thing, United States is only a $20 trillion economy. To me, forecasting the single largest thing on the planet is the single most important thing a person could concern themselves with. I find it fascinating. I find it challenging. I find it, um, it's just arresting. I mean, it's it's what I want to
0: do. And one of the things that interested me in this short video, and I'll, I'll make sure I embed that video in the show notes, listeners, so you can go see that as well, is the, um, the visualization of the numbers. That was the, the hook for me because my, my background at Wayfront was in in addition to computer animation for visual effects, we did a lot of data visualization with structured data like you have numerical and then unstructured data, which is also interesting. Mm-hmm. W- mm-hmm. Where's the power of the visualization for you and what do you teach in that area?
1: We, uh, th- well the power is the, it, there's a basic thing about human intellectual capacity uh, which is that uh, we're built the way our eyes are, and the way our eyes are connected to our brains. Uh, we're built to interpret things visually. We're just from the ground up. Um, it's, it's it's biological, and and so this is why re- presenting data in a visual way uh, is is so powerful. Um, saves time, right? Why write to a thousand words about some relationship in the data when you could just show someone a graphic, um, and and they'd get it, and they wouldn't have to s- sit there and read all this stuff, right? So, um, this is um, it's just efficient. It's it's the way to go when you can. Um, the as far as teaching it, um, what's interesting there is, you know, the program probably could use more advanced data visualization techniques uh, than what we currently do. Um, but but there's, there's another aspect to portraying data visually, which is that the data can be tricky.
2: Mm.
1: Um, the way you put data into a graphic of some kind, be it a chart or what have you, um, can mislead unintentionally people who are savvy with this can mislead intentionally. Um, That's something we hit pretty hard in this program, uh, is to help bring the students up to speed on these issues so that they're savvy, uh, they understand the underlying data structures. um, And and we hit the economic and financial markets data structures hard. Uh, We don't really do big data in, in this particular program, although there is some of that in Cal Lutheran, but just not in our program. Um, um, but but that savviness as to what's going on with the underlying data structures is important. So th- th-
0: there's a lot in that because, as you said, data can be tricky. And having been yeah. around guys like you, when I was working with, you know the software which was how do we give you analytical tools to slice and dice and look at that and and um to figure out what was the correct view if you will like what is because you could look at it one way and data tells you something you look at another way you pivot it if you will and you go oh it's something else um i'm i I don't know why i was just reminded we helped nasa do the same thing with visualizing the the milky way and Mm -hmm. we're we always look at the milky way from the point of view of earth and go look at the milky way from the point of view of the moon and it's completely different Mm -hmm. and you're like oh hadn't even thought about that i never thought about it It just didn't so we could get into the ethics of this i'm going to write that down because i want to get back into that later but specifically about the the visualization i'm a, a student of edward Tufte. Uh, hmm. Who did envisioning information? Mm-hmm. And do you study Tufti at all when you're helping students figure out how to present graphics? Or
1: no, I haven't. Uh, I, um, I'm a lifelong learner, so I definitely will will make note of that. But I haven't. I'll put that in the haven't. notes. He he's yeah.
0: the one who who helps try try to figure out like how do you present that information mm-hmm. because that's a whole art yeah. in and of itself. Yeah. Um, yep when when you're creating uh, again it's about interpreting the information right the, you're teaching them to interpretate it right mm-hmm. which is right that quantitative uh, piece there mm-hmm. um, are there some things that you teach them to look for that as civilians we wouldn't pay attention to normally thinking of the business guy who's looking at his p l or or mm-hmm. sales the things you teach them to look like always go and look for this then look for this then look for that
1: well, there's, there's, um, you know, there's sharks in the waters, uh, and and we we teach that. So there's um, there can be underlying changes to data structures. There can be underlying changes to whatever is the activity that drives the data, uh, if it's economic data or financial data or demographic data or whatever. Um, There can be changes to the way people are living their lives out there in the economy um, that that you want to try to be mindful of. There can be kind of stupid things, if you will. Uh, Just the Census Bureau can completely change how they're measuring a statistic, and it has the same name, You know, in 1990, it has this name X, and in 2000, it also has name X, but in 2000, they completely changed the underlying collection methodology. And so this, you know, these are things to be careful of because you might think you're looking apples to apples, but it's not. Um, There can be sudden shifts to the data. Uh, There can be changes to long-term trends that you're not aware of. There can be be short-term volatility shocks Things, um, so we spend a lot of time on these kinds of issues.
0: You had said that um, this was—you called it a terminal master's program, which I think meant this was the end of the line. That's the terminal, so it's not on the road to the PhD. Right, correct. It's them going out and getting jobs. What, what, um, what's the job title of one of your graduates when they get employed?
1: Oh, it's fairly common to be uh, economist one. <laughs> or Economist 2. <laughs> that sounds like uh, I'm listening to a movie credits. Uh, Economist number one, yes. bad guy number two. Yes, exactly. exactly. Uh, also, uh, financial analyst is typical. Just analyst also is typical. And where do they uh, get jobs? Um, we have folks who have gone into the nonprofit world. Uh, uh, finan- the financial world is fairly large. Uh, um very mainstream economics, like forecast houses and uh, research institutes like the Milken Institute in Santa Monica, um, where it's just very traditional econ, right, Um, a lot of banking, um, and more the data analysis route, also, as well. We have someone at Google. We have uh, a person at IBM doing data analytics. Um, 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 Stryker Medical, same thing, that kind of thing. So those are probably the big, those are the main areas. And how big is, uh, so I'm thinking of the, the
0: Economic Forecast Project, and I'm thinking this this group of people that are at Cal Lutheran, and, and you find them all around. Is that a growth industry if you want to work in public service? If someone said, I, well, I love numbers, and I love helping people make sense of numbers, is that Are there those kinds of, I'm very familiar with them here in the 805, but Mm -hmm. are those kind of groups everywhere or is that kind of a unicorn thing?
1: I, you know, if I understand your question, I do think it's a growth industry. Um, Although certainly, uh, it's a very good question. I would suspect that you do need to be certain places. And just shooting from the hip here, it's probably the coasts of the country, maybe with certain islands. You know, maybe Chicago metro area uh, places. So in Michigan, financial centers, you know, but, um, yeah, and and places with creative activity. A lot of creative activity also. Now, how does that?
0: Because I do, I I tend to not think of the numbers
1: as the creative bit. Explain that. Well. Um, places like, uh, Amazon, Google, uh, Apple, they, you know, they are in a position to where they can gather and access a lot of data. (laughs) And so (laughs) in fact, too much data. And so that's actually creativity can come in there because wait a second, how do I deal with terabytes of data that are coming in by the second this is ridiculous right and so um people have been creative it's been now that's not my area you know i don't have a phd in that area right but but i can tell you i you know i've i'm connected a little bit and if connected enough i know that people have been creative in coming out well okay we can do this right and and so you you have things like hadoop and, and other things that are database technologies that are designed for these yeah. Massive data yep. structures, yep. And, flat databases, and, and, all and of to that. me, yeah. you know, I saw that and I was like, "Dude, that was creative!" <laughs> right? That was awesome. So,
0: you know, um, I, uh, I learned something, Patrick, um, yeah. uh, this week. Uh, so we've heard of Nasdaq, and we've heard of the, da- I mean, we've heard of like the Dow Industrial or of how many companies is it? Fifty? <clears throat> there, there's like there's there's different, there's ones. different ones, right? Yeah. But I heard of a new um, one. Yeah, I'm ready. It's called Fang. <laughs> That's not a real one.
1: It is. Where, where it's is a it? thing. Okay.
0: It's a thing, isn't it, Professor? Tell yeah. us
1: what Fang is. Uh, Facebook, Amazon, uh, Netflix, and Google. and Google. And Google. Yeah. It's yeah. a thing. Huh. Yeah. The Fang Index.
0: So meaning, meaning, but it's it's they're so big that they can they're measured as a foursome interesting. and as a fo- economic force.
2: I was always fascinated. When you're mentioning, Professor. You're mentioning uh, data, and I. I uh, I remember when I was looking at a, um, uh, they were they were doing this was at the height of the, um, the, the bubble I think in oh six oh five, and they were measuring growth inside of America and they would say yeah everything's up Nevada, we just have to like Nevada was this like outlier and they would always like exclude Nevada because it didn't operate like the rest of of the data and back to your point about having to look at the data and analyze. You know, is this operating in the, in the in, in, am I looking at the same data point from from ten years ago, but also like what happens when an outlier shows up like that where it's like we cannot we can't put Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google in the same bracket because it doesn't it doesn't then it throws your your toll mm-hmm. everything goes askew mm-hmm. and you can't measure things you know like it's like breaking the 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 mold or something
1: yeah, and so uh, what one of the things. That as, as a model, so I'm considered a modeler, right? I put models together for forecasting e- economic activity or just looking at relationships in history. Um, what I would do in that case, and, and this is what we teach in the program as well, is, look, if you were forecasting the United States economy and trying to understand it, um, if you have – Pieces within this start moving in in very mu- uh, different directions to much of a degree. Okay, you're done. You've got to disaggregate. So Meaning, I've got a model the that. Data. So, oh, got it. And then I can model well, right. whatever California and other parts of the country. Then I just reassemble because I mean clearly, uh, the GDPs of all those fifty states added up are is in fact the GDP of the country. Right. Right. So. So you just just disaggregate and so and so this you want that's you know you're not sunk right if the data is available in this case the data is available in that example, and so you disaggregate, you do your analysis on Nevada and whatever however you uh, the rest of the country however you uh, feel is is relevant, and then you reassemble
2: and do you have to but but clearly, I would assume you'd have to and I don't know in your field obviously what it is, but like an asterisk where you're saying like um this is, you know, Nevada has gambling. And so clearly that being the, the one thing that changes the way that it works. Yeah, so
1: right. if you disaggregate, then when you build the model for Nevada, you bring the gambling in. Ah, yeah. Whereas it may not be pertinent for Idaho or right. I, whatever, right? right. Some yeah. other state. Yeah. yeah.
0: Hmm. yeah. Um, I want to ask you uh, two, two questions. One is, so you're training these people to be in, in a very specific job and as a, and almost an advice an analyst but as an advisor there this uh, let's go get our data scientists to come in our modeler the person who's helping us figure out growth and and make sense of the numbers because we run our business by the numbers um, there's a show that we do for the international society for urban health it's an ngo out of new york and they study urban health and in doing a, we did a series of 12 podcasts for them and unbeknownst to me, until we did the show, I was talking to a bunch of data scientists. They're oh. all data people, all academics, and they're all measuring data, like, how many bus stops are there is a measure of vitality? There was like all of this data. Had no idea, that's what I love doing, about doing the podcast, get you to learn these things. Yeah. But what they were talking about teaching their students to do was how to present the data to decision makers oh. because the decision makers have ADD <laughs> and we know, right? Well, we all kind of do, but they more than not, mm-hmm. they're the ones making policy. They're the ones making the, bit you don't, like you, you, I'm looking at your professor, you're saying, you know what the data is telling you, you know what should be done, but you're not in the position of doing that. So mm-hmm. now you're teaching these students take tell us more about that is that something that you talk to them about
1: like- yes we um, this is a, a a very pertinent thing it's um, communication com- communicating data presenting uh, results about data presenting results about statistical analysis. Um, uh, it's actually hard. So the first step is. <laughs> yeah, which is why you have
0: to go to a university to yeah, learn it.
1: it the, the first step, we teach them all these silly algorithms and things that they think are hard, um, understandably. Uh, and and so then, so the sort of the first round, and we make them get up and present a lot, right? That's that's a kind of a key part of the professional development. Um, so round one, they get up and they're like, wait a second. How do I pronounce that word? You know, it's an algorithm, right? And <laughs> I never then, had to say
2: it out loud. to type uh,
1: Why? Yeah. Why? Wait. When am I supposed to use that algorithm? Shoot. He's gonna. He's gonna kill me if yeah. I use the. If I, not if I say the word wrong, but if I, talk about using this algorithm in the wrong context, right? My professor's gonna hammer me, right? So, so they're struggling with that round one. Then, we get further along in the program, and then it's like, well, wait, okay. So you're gonna get up. How would you tell someone uh the results of your analysis in an elevator ride? can you do that and boy, they can't the first time yeah. forget it yeah. right They need twenty minutes. <laughs> it's pretty funny so but we get there, we keep working on it, you know, and we find we get that 20 minutes all the way down to two minutes at some point you know kind of by the end of the program Or that's what we're trying to do we We want them to be able to do the 20 minutes for sure,
2: yeah. For when they but, get out of the elevator at the top and say, "Now come with me yeah, to the boardroom," when, when they when expect- they go into the thing with the yeah. PowerPoint,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right, right. So, but then, but they they really do need to be able to distill it, because, like you say, decision makers they don't have time; they're impatient; they have ADD; they they don't want the details. Even you know, and some of these people in the C-suite have backgrounds that are very technical, very highly trained, but it doesn't matter; they don't have time. Mm-hmm. They need they need the they need the distilled version. I can't speak English. And yeah. then they need you to get out of their office so that they can run with it. Right. And
2: was uh, that on the napkin when you were when you were puzzling out designing a program and saying these are the this is the architecture of this master's program? Was that part of it? Was saying like oh I'm we're going to need professionalism in there?
1: It wasn't. So that's a good question. Um, I didn't place. In academia out of UCSB's PhD program I placed in the professional. I placed at a one of the largest forecast centers in the world Um, and so I worked in in that capacity for years before I went to academia and that's where I started realizing some of these things um, and got you know and and I was the guy actually who would somebody would ask me a question and yeah. I would take like five minutes to answer it. <laughs> and the person who asked the question did not want to listen to five minutes of anything.
2: Which isn't really a lot. Right. That's really pretty condensed in five minutes. Yeah, but, but still.
1: It's not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we yeah.
0: call it um, talk in tweets. Yeah. yeah. Right, that's, right. Uh, right. even though yeah. th- that word has been, just Twitter and all that has been harmed irreparably. Yes. But, <laughs> yes. Um, yes. I, yes. I believe that, that ability Agreed. to to get your... Uh, thing down into a, a, a tweet, basically. Yeah. Um, there was a an article yesterday in Inc. magazine about um, I'm a TEDx producer, TEDx Santa Barbara, and okay. we talk about mm-hmm. you know getting that idea down quickly. And the story yeah. was about how do you, as someone who wants to get on the TEDx stage, how do you pitch, mm. right? Like what? And this was written by a TEDx producer who's like me, like all of us that are out there, 4,000 of us, we get pitched constantly on this, the idea worth spreading that the world has to know. And, and yeah. they say, um, she purports, which is from a Harvard Business Review article, 15 words or less. Get the idea in 15 words or less. Now, Professor. That's getting down there. How, yeah. do, we, how do we take this, what, how many trillion dollars was it? 20. Twenty. 20 trillion dollars so how do i get a, a macroeconomic trend that's like breaking news uh in 15 words could that be done two minutes is hard can it be done in 15
1: words um yeah, yeah we you know um we we have constructs like that we we recently uh released uh in september we released our u.s and california forecasts and then Uh, We were getting ready to release our Ventura County forecast last week, but then a number of tragic events occurred, and we've postponed it. Uh, But um, um, we send things as part of this process. We send things to the media. And um, for uh, the U.S. and California forecasts that we released in September, we just said headwinds and tailwinds. Oh, there you go. So when we... When it when kind of came down to, okay, how do we communicate how we feel about what's going on with the economy? Feel? That was the best <sighs> feeling. Yes. That was the best. Well, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, in, uh, I, I'm impressed. Good so, question. Yeah. Yeah. We look at reams of data. Yeah. And as you go through these reams of data, it actually becomes, at least for me, it becomes something that's in here. So I, I'm i looking at all this, and I develop a feeling. Yeah. That's So that's kind of where that comes There's from. There's a human
2: so, looking at this um, data. There's a human evaluating. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not. This is correct. not a machine learning. This is not, you know. Correct, yeah. correct.
1: In fact, um, I give presentations to non-economic audiences on how economists build forecast models all the time. That's uh, kind of a common request, which makes sense, right? Because um, to non-economists, actually, even to some economists, what those few economists who are forecasting do is a black box, right? And yeah. so like, what the heck are you guys doing? You know, and so I'll, I'll try to explain. And I get to a part where I call the crystal ball. and
2: I bet they love that part.
1: The crystal ball, <laughs> uh, they actually end up going, oh, shoot, after I say it. Because <laughs> I tell them, here's what the crystal ball is. If you want to forecast anything, widgets or rainfall in Santa Barbara or, you know, whatever, you become a student of that thing. You take it seriously. Yep. You study yep. that thing sideways, up and down, everything. You study it. You study it. You slice it. You dice it. You have to spend time with it, and then everybody realizes, oh, it's real work. Darn. So, um, but they were hoping they could give a formula for e- it, right? Yeah. Right. But, um, and that's that kind of connects to the feeling thing, right? Because I've been studying the U.S. economy for whatever a couple decades, and and so as I look at the data, I start building this construct and part of it's a kind of a feeling.
2: Do you ever question Um, that feeling? Are you ever worried that that feeling is being influenced? Oh, heck yeah, and that's why
1: it's huge Um, that we have a group of economists in the forecast center. And and the group in the master's program and in the forecast center is basically the same set of people, almost. Um, And so we'll do a draft forecast and I'll send it to them and I'll leave, right? And I'll go home and I'm like, I want to put this thing out of my mind for a moment. Um, and then I'll come back the next day and I get emails back from them saying, what are you doing over here? You know, uh, what about that? What about? And that's wonderful. Because you, you have to investigate. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's wonderful. And so because and, and I, I try to do that to myself I do oh, that yeah, as best you, I can. Yeah, yeah. OK, Dan Hamilton, you know, uh, um, does this really make sense? Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, but that's hard. And so. It's so wonderful to have a group of us, um, so that we can send it and and become kind of, you know, try to distance ourselves a little bit emotionally from it. Just put like seventeen hours into something, right? And so you, so but you you try to like just give it to them and let them shoot it down, fill it full of holes, and that's great. That's great.
2: What about the the postmortem that comes from your forecasts? About looking about what the forecast was last year, five years, and then putting that back in? Are you yeah? So.
1: That's that's um, we're doing a lot more of that in the past. Probably we started about ten years ago, I think. Something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, it's funny the first maybe decade or so that I forecasted, I didn't do that. It's kind of strange. It Was wasn't it, part of why the. Why yeah. don't you go back and look at your accuracy? You do see what's funny about economic data. You have to wait a while. Yeah. First, some, in some cases, like at the county level, you have to wait an entire year. <laughs> so it's kind of silly, but you can do it. Right, yeah. you you wait a year, the data finally comes out, and then okay, what did I forecast a year ago? So you got to dig that up, right? Yeah. And then oh, oops, you know, or <sighs> hey, not too bad, or you know whatever. And um, do you get those? So it's it's it kind of adds work, but but uh, yeah, it's sorry. important. Uh,
2: well, I just wanted to hear that you got a dead on once in a while. Like you got a you got a oh yeah, we were we were well, and, very yeah, accurate. so.
1: Um, uh, to to run a forecast center, one of the things you do is you, you you send a lot of survey for you send a lot of forecasts into surveys. Um, there's a Wall Street Journal survey that's pretty pretty famous in in our world. Uh, the National S- Association of Business Economists probably maybe does the second most famous. There's a blue chip, maybe I think a lot of people have heard of the blue chip consensus forecast. That's another one. Um, and to come back to so. We participate in the navy surveys they they send us emails i don't know 12 times a year or something asking for forecasts and opinions and so on so on and so in 2016 we sent in our forecasts every quarter as part of their what they call their outlook survey which is really the quantitative the the numbers right Mm -hmm. because they have other surveys that are more qualitative. anyway so we did all that um and we got second place in the nation out of 77 uh forecasters um that year, um, we didn't do as good last year, unfortunately, but, um, um, we were only beat out by Fannie Mae, uh, (laughs) in DC who has, you know, a fleet Mm. of PhDs and master's people working on this stuff. But, um, so that was, you know, that was kind of heartwarming. That was, you know, it, it, um, I was kind of shocked actually. And, and then, um, you know, uh, the Dean, you know, Gerhardt and others are like patting me on the back and I was like, wow, you know, um, but, um, um, it's, it's crystal ball. We, the crystal ball was clear. Uh, that year. uh <laughs> <laughs> um, we haven't in, in 17 and the first few quarters of 18, we've moved away a little bit. Our, our errors got a little bit bigger, uh, but they're not horrible. What
2: are you, yeah. what are you attributing those errors to? what do you what do you think you kind of like well the area what's interesting
1: is we've been low yeah oh uh past six quarters i think or or maybe it's five or four something around in there we've been low um so the economy has come in stronger um than than what we had predicted so funny thing we um ever since um so in oh oh seven and oh eight hit right um that's that's kind of a whole funny story, but but basically, in November of 2018, um, we had all these models of California and the United States and so on, and we walked over to the trash can and, and let go. Really, and dropped them into the trash can and completely rebuilt from scratch everything. Um, Twenty, you
0: said 2018,
1: 2016. I mean, I mean, I meant 2008. 2008. So Layman fell September 15, 2008. Yeah. In November, we took our models and just threw them in the trash can, mm. in yeah. November of that year. So I had a busy November because I was rebuilding all this stuff. Um, and one of the things that we started doing at that point with those new models is our forecasts were considered pessimistic.
2: Oh, you, you kind uh, of had, you weighted them a little bit towards pessimistic? We, well,
1: we rebuilt, but, but the, the outcome of that rebuilding is so the Wall Street Journal consensus forecast would come out, right, and say maybe they're saying GDP growth of 2.5%, just to pick a number. We would be lower. We were consistently lower in late 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, like oh, many, many years, right? Um, even up to recent recent time. We were typically under the consensus. Of forecast. So the way people in the industry prefer they say, yeah, those surf guys, they're Pessimistic, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. because we're, our growth is lower. Yeah. Um, and during that time, um, being lower that w- uh, served us very well.
2: You're much closer to the mark. Yeah, yeah.
1: It served us very well. In fact, what was funny, uh, Matthew loved this. Um, we would sometimes be lower than consensus, and then the actual would come lower than us. And so we were actually optimistic, even though yeah. everybody thought we were pessimistic. <laughs> So it was, it was, kind of humorous in a way. For, you, know.
0: you had said earlier, uh, there's a human being looking at the data, uh, and uh, and then you debate the results and you d- debate the analysis. Um, one of the there's this technological thing that is changing everything, which is AI, machine learning, deep learning, all of that. I'm curious what what's happening in your world with AI?
1: There is, so I, um, you know, there's, there's e- economists go to conferences and uh, until a couple of years ago um, I went to the traditional economics conference uh, every year, or most years, um, but um, in 2009 or so I became a member of a, a academic society whose focus is, is forecasting only. And they do conferences. And so I started going. Um, and that was where I started meeting people who don't have a PhD in econ, they have a PhD in stat. Mm. And those are the folks that are more connected in to, to uh, the machine learning, AI, uh, these kinds of things. And um, I'm not up to speed yet, but they are they are working in this area. Uh, They are working on algorithms to improve forecasting techniques um, using these technologies. Uh, They tend to be atheoretical, and so uh, it tends, so what it does, it tends to just look at patterns in the data Sure. without, how do I say, without trying to figure out, okay, what are the factors Um So let me so maybe I, I could give an example to make sense of this. So um, suppose I want to forecast retail sales in the United States or even in Ventura or Santa Barbara. Um, so the typical construct that comes from traditional economics would say, okay, I need to get the retail sales data, but then I need to get data on, jobs and income and and wealth for that area so say it's the state of california so then i would i'd get retail sales data for california but then i would get data on the wealth of the people who live in california on the income they're receiving and and maybe th- if they have a job or not things like that so it's very traditional economic analysis right and so th- you could th- uh, those three things the wealth the income the job if they have a job or not like unemployment rate Uh, refer to as factors. Those are factors that help me model retail sales. Um, the, The new research, and in fact, my sense of this is that we are in a golden era of forecasting research right now. Really? Right this second. Now, I could be wrong, but that's just... I've started going to these new conferences, you know, the forecast conferences instead of the traditional econ conferences. And when I look at what these guys are doing, guys and gals, um, it's exciting uh, and it's and it's amazing. And it, and I think they're on the verge of some really amazing things. What makes um, you say that? Well, it's just, you know... Um, I, I guess I'd have to say it's a hunch. It could, I could be, like I said, I could be wrong. You've but, already factored in that emotion but, pays um, a part, so that's okay. Yeah, I, it's, you know, I went through a, what I consider to be a golden era of research in time series econometrics, which, so that was when I, I started studying at UCSB in 1990, uh, starting in around 83 or so and going through the 80s, through the 90s, probably halfway into the 2000s, something like that was an era of research in, uh, in time series econometrics that, in my opinion, you know, now when we look back on that, we can say, whoa, that was, I mean, there were some Nobel Prize winners that came out of that. Um, so I, you know, I don't think I'm the only one, right, that, I mean, if they give them a Nobel, right, so. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty good marker. Um, and, and, and so I have that as sort of a, it's a different research area if you have that same sense, you know, and so when I look at what these guys, yes, yes, thank you. So when I look at what these guys are doing now in forecasting um, um, and I, I didn't finish my story on the factors, but I just realized. But but it, it seems super exciting. It's and and they're I think they're bringing the right kind of technology to bear. Right. On a particular problem. Uh, and I can talk more about that. It's, so you're it's you're, super optimi- exciting. you're optimistic.
2: You're uh, optimistic about the AI insertion into into what you're doing. Or the or I'm the,
1: opti- Yeah, I. I would make it broader. I, I, sure. I'm optimistic about the the various new algorithms, sure, including AI. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry. So to come back to my story mm-hmm. that I never finished, the research, the cutting-edge research and forecasting, isn't going the route. Of trying to improve the algorithm where I have retail sales and the, the three factors are the unemployment rate the income and the wealth what they're doing they're kind of going a slightly different direction. but this is this is an area that's been done in econometrics and economics since the 50s so it's not new it's but they're taking a different way which is looking at patterns in the data this mm-hmm. is more like data visualization actually mm-hmm. looking at And there's a way to look at patterns in the history of data. So they they take the income, the unemployment rate, and the wealth to the side off the table. And they just look at the retail sales. And there's ways to look at statistical patterns in the history of the retail sales itself. That's what they're focusing on right now. And they're focusing on that very heavily. And coming up with algorithms to improve just doing that and then making a forecast. Mm -hmm. And... um, uh, one of the really neat areas to me, and it's, and it's really intuitive, is a, an area called forecast combination. So I can have my retail sales and I can, uh, I can build what's called a univariate inertial algorithm for that. And once I have that algorithm, I can forecast. I can also do something different. I can build a multivariate inertial algorithm. And once that algorithm's built, I can use that to forecast retail sales. So for a lot of people, this might be kind of weird. Wait a second, shouldn't there just be one best way to go about forecasting retail sales?
2: Yeah, which one wins, which one's more accurate?
1: Yeah, okay, so here's the interesting thing about the research, and this is what these guys are working really hard on right now. I could then do a third thing. I could just do a judgmental forecast. That's the crystal ball. Just right? If it, I've yeah. been studying retail sales of whatever, whatever you're the guy you for know. a long time. And I've been watching this silly thing every quarter for who knows how long, you know, you're going to know a lot about it. Right. And, and so you can just, it's, uns, you know, a lot of people freak when, when I say this because they say, professor Hamilton, that is really unscientific, but they, but you're just writing down a number. That's called a judgmental forecast or a subjective forecast. You're just writing down the forecast or typing it into Excel, hmm. and then you can put it in a chart, and nobody knows, right? It looks like right. a forecast, right? So, um, But the thing is, like you guys know, I'm arguing you do that if you've been studying it. If you haven't been studying it, well, you maybe maybe you should not do a subjective forecast, right? So you could do that. You could then go back to the traditional econometric model that I was just talking about where, okay, I'm going to use the unemployment rate and income being generated in this area and the wealth level in this area to help me forecast retail sales, right? So you could go that way. So I've just, I've got four. I've got the subjective. I've got the traditional econometric. I've got univariate inertial and multivariate inertial. And you could go, there's more. I'll stop there, right? But you could could keep you could think of different ways to tackle the problem of forecasting that thing. So let's go back what to they our, have fa- our
0: decision maker though.
1: Okay. So do you?
0: would you present those four outcomes? No, no, yeah, he's a uh, listener.
1: He's shaking his head. No, no, no. no. And so th- this forecast combination area research, this hot new area of uh, forecasting research, um, what they do is they use each algorithm to produce the forecast. Then they simply take the average no. of the four forecasts. Is that
2: okay? That they sounds take the average super. Of the four forecasts.
1: So to a novice, two years ago. So the, the journal, the academic journal that publishes all this forecast research, they have a competition every year for best paper. Okay. The best paper two years ago was a paper that showed that I can I can compute those four, four forecasts and I can take the average of them. But I can all, I can I can go further. I can I can say well wait a second, those forecasts aren't all equally able if you will. So I could maybe the traditional econometrics one is a better model. And so I should give it, it weighed, Right. So if I have four forecasts, and I take the average. That's a right. 0.25 weight on each of the four. Right, right, but right, what they right. start what the statisticians started doing being statisticians, of they course. said, "Oh, we can compute optimal weights." Right, so they can do st- other algorithms on the side to go in and say, okay, the traditional econometric model shouldn't be 0.25; it should be 0.35. Univariate or, uh, inertial should only be 0.1. Uh, the multivariate inertial should be whatever, whatever, and this and that. Silly, subjective. Don't give it anyway. I'm just kidding. Right, right. So um, they can not weight them equally, which is what an average does. They can go in and do optimal or differential weights across those four forecasts. Well, what this paper showed the top statisticians in the world, PhDs and stats from the top universities in the world, working, throwing heavy artillery at optimal weighting, yeah. they couldn't beat the average. Oh, The average oh. is kicking butt every time. See, I love that. And that's <laughs> devastating. <laughs> but see, so that was two years ago. So yeah. at the last forecast conference I went to, there's some guys that are starting to figure out why it is the case that the average does so well. So that's partly why I think we're in a golden era is because if they can figure that out, why is it that the average kicks butt, right? Then then they'll be able to go into the optimal weighting algorithms and say, okay, that's gonna be a ton of information, right? And that'll help them with their optimal weighting algorithms. It, um, so you One really- of the things they found was I can do, so. Have to, this will be quick. So in the case of four forecasts, right, 0. 0.25, the, the average is 0. 0.25 all the way around. Four, four weights of 0. 0.25. What they've found is, combina- so these are so-called combination forecasts. If I do 0. 0.2, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.2, so it adds up to 0. 0.8. It doesn't even add up to 1, right? Hmm. Those tend to perform very well as well. And there's a mathematical property underlying all this is called a convex combination. And so they are looking at this with big giant microscopes. And because it they're, gonna be. For, they're gonna find something. Yeah. They're gonna find something. Yeah, I, I, at least that's my hunch, is that they are gonna find something. And then when they go once they find it, then when they do the optimal, they'll figure out how to do the optimal to beat the average. Yeah. And so, so
0: my hope as a business leader <laughs> and, and our listener listening is that uh, the guys in the back room behind the monitors that we keep locked up and throw you guys food and raw meat <laughs> uh, are are feeding us up numbers that are vetted and, and uh, there's deep science behind what you're doing so that good decisions can be made so policies are made that affect us and, and give us a better life, better schools, better jobs, <laughs> better homes, better salaries, better all that good stuff and you're keeping track of it. Professor, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. I've said this often really? Gerhardt, I know you're listening. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love um, I, and I've said this on the show many times the only people who get to talk to you guys are your students and your other your your other academics in the room. So civilians don't get to have these kinds of conversations. so thank you very much it, it just helps us get a, a deeper sense of that. Uh, I'm not I didn't even go into fake data or any of that kind of stuff or how we manipulate it. We didn't get into the ethics of, you know, yeah. like like showing the data on a bar chart versus a pie chart versus a line chart. For I've studied all of that a lot. It's just interesting. But if the person Agreed. who's making the decision is just looking at go, oh, yeah, OK. And they've already made up their mind because they're using decision number four, which is that gut level crystal ball. Mm-hmm. And no matter what the data tells them, who cares? right yeah so uh, it's at this point of the show where um, I give you the opportunity to give us a title for this conversation I have an idea of what it might be but what do you think we might call this conversation someone's looking at a list of almost 200 shows now Gerhardt's trying to pick out which one to to point to his his buddies what do we call this one data visualization and forecasting uh, I, w- I was thinking communicating data to decision makers. Sure. You like that? Sure, yeah. Okay, good. I like yeah. that. Are you okay with that <laughs> point? <laughs> other, our other professor, my art professor over here. I,
2: I'm I'm trying to, I'm looking at, uh, at Mark thinking that, that, Clearly, there was a human involved in creating that, that, that <laughs> title. That, that was not a uh, scientifically created title, but it's great. That's I true. Yeah. I
0: love that. So thank you so much. Uh, we'll put a link into uh, the Cal Lutheran website, but also um, your does, is your is the research readily available on a regular basis? Is there a website we can point to? There's a website. To?
1: What we do, we post the executive summaries to our forecasts yeah. there. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect,
0: I yep. appreciate that. Yep. So I also want to thank, thank Gerhardt, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate it. We appreciate California Lutheran University School of Management as one of our sponsors as well as Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Full String Press. If you're interested in hearing more conversations like this, how, how would they do that, Patrick?
2: Well, they, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm still reeling from the, from the, uh, the data that was just laid out. Um, <laughs> Uh, the average kicks butt. That's good to know. Um, just uh, is that our
0: T-shirt for the show? It might be. Yeah, See, I could. I
2: kind of want. I I think that would be the title of the show: The Average <laughs> Kicks Butt. But um. Uh, um. Uh, rate right review this show Uh, put some stars up online let us know what we're doing right what we're doing wrong Um, if you think that you uh, need to participate in a podcast send us either uh, a recommendation for somebody that should be on this show or if you think you need a show of your own uh, contact us and we will uh, we will help you we will help guide you even if it's just a uh, a quick polite conversation over coffee we'll tell you how podcasts uh, go from just being uh, an idea and a conversation and turn into a published thing Uh, and if you would like our uh, steady hand to guide you through that we are happy to do that as well
0: we love we love working on new shows and helping people like you said figure out uh we call it conversational content it's a it's a great way to get your message out so if you would uh, like to start that conversation with us drop us a note to mark at 805 connect.com and thank you so much and until next time this is mark sylvester your host for 805 conversations